Good morning. Did y'all all survive the storm? Maybe I should say, did y'all survive those ball games? That's probably. Uh, not everything survived it around here. Just so you'll know, the phones and the internet services are—they're completely dead as of this moment. So we're not sure if it's Charter's issue or ours. But be it be in mind that tomorrow, of course, is Labor Day holiday, so the office won't be open. But I dare say, probably. I don't know if charter service will be open or not, but so Tuesday, please be aware that it could be that there will still be a phone issue at the church. I also want to remind you, though, that next Sunday is uh, the Epworth Workday offering that's always done this time of year, and there will be information and an offering envelope in your bulletins next week. Is Brett here? Brett, there you are. Brett, stand up. I want. Every, I know most of you already know Brett Clay, Clay Camp, who was our wounded warrior. He's back from Afghanistan and from Walter Reed Hospital, and and most of you already know that. But we still wanted to stand you up and just tell you we've been praying for you all this time. We will not stop praying to you completely, 100%. But you look pretty close. Are you doing okay? Okay. Thank you. All right. I know that uh, we're happy you're home. I know there's a, especially, I know there's a, a young lady who's real happy you're home. <laughs> so we're, we're glad to see you, Brett. If we can do anything for you, let us know, and I'm sure this congregation would do anything that you needed to help. Let's see if I have any other things there. Oh, Wednesday night supper, Wednesday night supper. Wayne, you didn't ask me to make an announcement at 11, but I'm going to do it for you, okay? So this Wednesday is the first of our back, you know, back to going to our fellowship meals. It's be at 6 o'clock, is that correct? And if you have not uh, called up and reserved a place, Wayne said that if you will call now, you can still call him. You can't call the church, church phones are dead, but you can call the uh, Wayne's, Wayne's house. Uh, you can see Wayne. Wayne, raise your hand just in case somebody don't know who you are. And then we will, uh, but this Wednesday, and we're going to have a, a little talk by one of our members, Daryl Richforth, so uh, we're looking forward to that. There will be activities for the children as usual. And we, uh, the meal is catered, and it's, uh, the information's in the bulletin. So I hope that we'll see all of you there Wednesday night for our first uh, monthly fellowship meal of this season. All right, let us begin our worship together.
with you. Let us pray together. Blessed Lord, who has caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant that we may hear, read, learn, and inwardly digest by patience and comfort thy holy word, so we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life found in the Savior, Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us join in the affirmation of our faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
may be seated. We have any children if you come forward at this time. I have no idea what I'm going to say this morning. I don't look like a man, do I? Hope not. Okay, let me think. Have you ever had to do something you really didn't want to do? <laughs> you know, sometimes God will ask us to do things that make us uncomfortable. Maybe you'll be at school and you'll see somebody doing something they shouldn't do, or maybe you might hear your mom or dad say something they shouldn't say. Not yours, I'm sure, right? Okay. But sometimes God asks us to do things that we don't want to do. They sort of make us feel yucky inside because we're nervous and scared and uncomfortable. But if God is asking us to do it, guess what? You, you need to do it. Because sometimes he wants us to do things that make us feel uncomfortable. Because it makes us grow. It makes us better Christians. It makes us stronger Christians. So sometimes when you hear that little voice inside your head or inside your heart that's going, you need to say something. You need to tell that, that boy or that girl in your class that they shouldn't be doing that. That's God telling you that you need to spread his love and his message by sharing what is right and wrong with your friends. So sometimes we have to do things we don't want to do, and sometimes we have to do things that make us uncomfortable, but we do them because God tells us to. Okay? So when you're at school or at home or on the playground and you see somebody or hear somebody do something that you know is not right, sometimes you have to speak up and do it, even though it makes you uncomfortable. Okay? I teach. I teach all the time. I teach kids. It doesn't bother me at all. Speaking in front of all these grown-ups makes me feel like I'm going to throw up. I don't like it at all. But sometimes God says, you need to do this. Okay? So sometimes we just have to suck it up and do it, okay? All right, so let's pray. Dear Lord, please give us the strength to do what you call us to do, to do the right thing and to listen to you. Amen.
Our first scripture reading today comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The word of God for the people of God. Let us bow our heads in prayer.
Oh God, in your mercy, hear the prayers of these now people. Oh God, you are our strength. And we come this day praising you for your wondrous works in our life through every generation. You fed us and satisfied our wants and our needs with the sweetness of your grace. And so we offer our worship to you, O God, and our thanksgiving for your goodness. You have brought us into a plentiful good land, and all that we have and enjoy is a gift of your abundant hand. As receivers of your blessings, we need to give humble thanksgiving, but we must confess this day, O God, that oftentimes we are far from humble. In our striving to attain our goals and recognitions of things, we often lose sight of how we're to show hospitality as a reflection of your mercy. So oftentimes we follow worthless things instead of your glory. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would forgive us again this day, that you'd wipe out our sin of departing from you so that we might live again in your spirit and that that same spirit might enliven us to proclaim with confidence uh, your forgiveness and to share that grace and compassion with others throughout the community and the world. We know that you hope and pray and expect and care for each one of us. And we know that your standards for us are complete wholeness of healing. Your compassion for, the, for those among us who are in distress is made clear in the life and ministry of Jesus. And so we pray this day for compassion to be given to those that we have named before you this day in our, in our prayer list uh, and in our voices in our hearts now. We pray, O oh Lord, that the strength that is lacking in, in those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit will be strengthened by you and that your peace would come upon them in a powerful, mighty way. We pray, O oh Lord, not because we deserve one thing, but we pray, O oh God, because we know of your great mercy and love for us as found in Christ Jesus, who is our Lord and who taught us to pray when we're together with these words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us continue our worship with our giving. Let our ushers come forward.
Please be seated. Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, beginning at verse 7. Give attention to the reading of God's Word. When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then Jesus said this to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. And although they cannot pay, repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that's present with us. And we pray and thank you that that same Spirit will guide us to life lessons and to understanding of our scripture today. We pray in your name. Amen. Now last week I said I talked about movies a lot, how much I enjoy movies, and I couldn't help but think of a movie as I was working on this sermon. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that y'all have heard of it. It was, a, it was a, years ago, and the movie was Places in the Heart. Does anybody remember Places in the Heart? Anybody here? Boy, this is a oh, few. Okay, thank goodness. <laughs> uh, it was, a, let me, I'll give you a little gist of the story. A small town sheriff is killed. It's set in the Depression era. His wife and two small children are left to try to scrape by uh, they're living on a cotton farm. Bank threatens to foreclose. So the widow takes in a boarder, a blind veteran. And later a black drifter takes up residence. And together the widow, the blind man, the black man, and the two children try to pull off the impossible, which is to get the first load of cotton picked, hauled to the gin, so they can win a monetary prize that will help them save their farm. Now, the reason this came to mind is because of this. The most compelling thing about this movie is the odd mix of characters. And the mo most compelling scene is the very end of the movie where they're all seen sharing food around a dining table in heaven. It seems to me like it's really important for us to understand that this is an odd mix of characters at best, but all good stories seem to work that formula. If you think about this in TV shows or movies, uh, some, of the old, some of the TV shows that come to my, my mind that works this 
formula was an old one called Seinfeld, more, more recently Survivor or, or something like that. But it's not just TV shows and movies that work this formula, it's also books, great works of literature have always seemed to work this formula of an oddball mixture of characters. The Harry Potter series of books uh, has an oddball mixture of characters in it. It seems like this formula of an oddball mixture of characters helps to bring compelling uh, sense to the story and, and, and helps us to get involved because at the face of it, we are also part of an oddball mixture of people. There's an oddball mixture of people that are drawn together and knitted together in a community. And that's really the story of the scriptures. It's the story of all these various people as they were called and as they followed Jesus Christ. As they came uh, together, all, all different walks of life, all different types of characters. And they've come together to form a community. Uh, they come together to form this community around this single purpose and thought uh, of Jesus, around Jesus Christ. And if you think about this scripture a minute, this, uh, uh, if you follow Jesus' instructions, uh, it, it would reflect then a more realistic version of a community. And the thing is that our community first uh, started uh, with this odd mix of people, and it's all through the scriptures, and we should celebrate it, I think. But it made me really think about the fact that the church, in a way, is a magnet, a magnet for an odd group of, of people, misfits, if you will. But see, the thing is, Jesus was too. He didn't really fit into any of the slots in which first century Judaism slated people. He didn't fit their expectations, uh, of a rabbi or a messiah. And when they, saw what, uh, when they saw this oddball mixture of people, they actually thought that there was something wrong with this picture. But you see, I don't think there is at all. I think that this odd sort of groups of people coming together and forming a community is really what Christianity is all about. And it really, in, in my opinion, has, is more powerful and effective when it reflects this in its churches. And you know, I have come to know that there, there's lots of people who have just odd habits, but are just salt-earth people, salt-earth people. Uh, I've had a, a couple of them in my congregations. I've thought often about writing a book about some of the characters. So. There's, a, there's a, a, definitely a really odd character that went two churches ago. He actually visited here a few weeks ago. He was the one in that big giant uh, RV that sat out here in the parking lot taking up all the parking spaces. Y'all might recall. <clears throat> but he has a love in his heart. Uh, he was a veteran, but it was a short period of time in his life. But he has never lost a love of country and the love of veterans and their causes. And he's part of Rolling Thunder, actually, here in South Carolina. And uh, next Saturday, he, really because of this one man, uh, he has uh, caused the governor to rename a bridge over on I-77, and I'm going for the dedication. Y'all might recall uh, this a few years ago when 9-11 occurred, there was a man who went out on the bridge overpassing I-77 and began waving a flag. His name was Lynn Farrington. 
He was an old salt, an old Navy veteran. And he, uh, he went out there and started waving that flag. And he was pretty old when he did that. And he waved it until he died. And then when he couldn't wave it anymore, his wife went out and waved it some. And now she's where she can't really wave it. And so this particular fellow I'm telling you about, he went out and started waving it. And they have decided that they will always wave that flag. They have decided that there'll be a veteran somewhere waving that flag every 9-11 on that bridge. But he was able to convince the governor to rename that bridge after Mr. Farrington is going to be dedicated next week. You might have seen something about it on the news. Well, Mr. Farrington was a good United Methodist. He was at church every Sunday till the day he died. But they were, these two guys are odd sorts of people. You, you just have to trust me on this. And yet they came together in their, in their own way. They were misfits. They would even tell you they were misfits. And they came together around this common theme of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and the desire to let people know about the Lord. And you know, all, all through the New Testament, there is, there is examples in the Scripture where different groups of people came together and were grappling over issues, uh, all kind of issues, and they didn't always do a good job of bridging the canyons that separated people. If they did, the writers wouldn't have to address the issues. But the issues were addressed. And a divine standard was revealed, and the churches were expected to live up to it. And the testimony of the New Testament, in my, my opinion, can really be boiled down to this. If someone's not welcome at your dinner table, then Jesus isn't either. That's why Jesus wanted to bring these points out and let you know that what you do to the least, you do to me. The Lord wants us to know that, if, that his church is big enough for all the misfits. It's big enough for everyone, not just a select few. And so we're really better at doing what Christ wants us to do, and we're, we're more effective when we recognize that uh, diversity is to be expressed and to be loved in the church. I go to lots of continuing education functions. It's part of our requirements as ministers. It's a little bit like how teachers have to recertify themselves ever so often. We have to go to so many uh, classes of continuing education. In the last couple of years, it seems like the theme is always over and over the same thing. The church is losing its influence in the world. The, the congregations are becoming older and are retiring to the great heavenly realms. And consequently, our pews are half empty on any given Sunday, and it seems as if the world evil system seems to prevail more and more and more in so many different ways. And one of the things they brought to our attention was that most churches are kind of in three different persuasions. They are the natives, they're the conquistadors, and the immigrants. And this is just one person's opinion, but there's a certain amount of truth to it. Uh, native churches stick to their own. Uh, native churches have a tendency to just hunker down and and they have a kind of a bunker mentality. They're not really interested in anyone else. 
Uh, they think they're normal and everyone else is strange. <laughs> and consequently, this unless you are exactly like that type of church, uh, you don't are not attracted to it. Now, the other church that's really predominant out there is what's called a conquistador church. Now, they're not much different. They believe in very much in their way or the highway, but they have taken the gospel lesson to heart that you should go out and and uh, and, and take the message. But their message is more like this: We want to conquer you. <laughs> Once we've conquered you. We'll accept you, and unless you accept everything we say, we don't have anything to do with you. Now, there's a third church that seems to be emerging in our world today that seems to be having places here and there where these churches are really attracting folks and they're growing. These churches, this particular uh, presenter's called the Immigrant Church. Now, if you think about it for a moment, in our culture today, the word immigrant has a negative connotation. But it really shouldn't because we're all immigrants from somewhere. And, the, and this presenter said an immigrant church is, is when it knows that. They know that you, we all came from somewhere else and we're all here now in this community. Uh, they have uh, cherished, uh, we have cherished traditions, of uh, course, that we would never waver on. But they understand that it's okay to express your faith in different ways. It's okay to relax your rules sometimes and restrictions. It's okay to accept someone who's different from you. And these immigrant churches have learned, the author said, how to squelch the gag reflex. The gag reflex. Now, I don't know how many of you know what the gag reflex is, but I'm going to tell you a story that really illustrates it very well. Most of you know, remember Norman Schwarzkopf, an army general. Most of y'all remember him? Served admirably in uh, Desert Storm. Well, one, one thing you probably might not know about Norman Schwarzkopf is this. Uh, his father at one time was the ambassador to, the, to Saudi Arabia. And uh, he writes in his biography that he once traveled with his father to visit some Bedouins. Now, the Bedouins are those nomadic shepherd people who still roam the Middle East. They, they, they cross borders without any problems. All the countries allow them to go back and forth across borders as they herd their, their sheep and goats and so forth and so on. Anyway, he had been invited to this Bedouin uh, group, and they were welcomed into a large tent, and there the host had spread a traditional Bedouin, a Bedouin feast. Now, the centerpiece of this feast was a camel. Now, all of we're from, here in South Carolina are very familiar with something called a pig picking, okay? Uh, you know what a pig picking is. You know big old hogs cook and laid out there, and you go in and you pick off of it and you eat it. And if you've never experienced that, you just need to go further south in this state, and you'll experience plenty of pig pickings. But... So, this, so think about this this way. The camel is the pig in this picture. It's the centerpiece of this feast. It was fully cooked, mostly still intact. And the chief of the Bedouin tribe had invited them in for this feast. And there was this camel laid out, barbecued, ready to eat. Well, the chief of the Bedouin tribe 
took a liking to a young Norman. And so he offered his, the choicest morsel on the table. In his, in his expression of hospitality, his, express, his expression of making them feel a part of, of his family and his tribe uh, and his, his people, all, he, he, took, he made this gesture which in their culture could, is, a, is a strong, wonderful gesture. I mean, you, you couldn't ask for a stronger gesture than this. He took the choicest morsel and he offered it to young Norman. And that would be the camel's eyeball. Now, now y'all just wrap that around your minds for a moment, okay, and think about that. The camel's eyeball. Now, Swarovskoff writes in his autobiography that, that he knew that he couldn't even look at his father because if he looked at his father to, like, say, is this okay, should I do this? I don't know if I want to do this. How can I get out of doing this? Uh, he knew that would be an insult. So he knew what he must do. He had no choice. He represented his father. He represented our country. He popped that eyeball in his mouth. He swallowed. He kept it down. And any other response would have been an unforgivable insult. And he quelched the gag reflex. He quelched the gag reflex. My friends, when the church learns how to make people feel welcome to the point and accepted to the point that they're willing to hold the gag reflex, this is what immigrant Christians do. They know that Jesus had to do a lot of gagging when he immigrated from heaven to earth. And so immigrant Christians know that if they're committed to following Jesus, they had to follow his steps. Then if Jesus says, don't invite the people who will repay you with a fine meal, invite the ones who will never repay you. Invite the ones who never get invited to a meal. They know that when Jesus tells them things like that, that they know that they need to figure out ways to honor Christ's commands, no matter what it takes. Christ invites everyone to his table. Those are not stock words in our liturgy for communion. Christ invites us all. Christ says, bring them to me. Bring those fish to me and let me clean them. Bring them to me and let me transform them. Bring them to me into this place of grace and forgiveness. And so immigrant Christians are constantly asking themselves a simple question. What have I done outside my comfort zone to reach someone for Christ? So the question always, in my opinion, that we have to ask, the, 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 the way we must operate, in my opinion, always as a church, is to think about a community of diverse misfits. And, and trust me, there is lots of misfits. I'm a misfit in this congregation. So, so we want to strive to be a community of diverse misfits who will fit in by the commonality of the love for our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to be 
natives, so we don't have to be conquistadors. We can remember where our true home is, and it's not here. That one day we want to immigrate to heaven. And so if we will continue to think in these kind of terms and see how we can reach people and hold that gag reflex down, the kingdom of heaven will continue to grow. And all of us have it, the desire, I think, inside of us to see the kingdom grow. We all have inside of us the love of Christ Jesus and how humbling it is to know that Christ has even loved us. And so I hope today this scripture will help you see that the main reason we exist is simply to invite those that still do not know Jesus into the fellowship and find ways to love them and care for them and show compassion to them. Amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit, may they be yours this day and each day. Amen. Oh, now in peace.